0: Next station is Metropolis, 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 Metropolis. (laughs) Welcome to Metropolis, a podcast series presented
1: by the student from the Urban Master at the Versailles School of Architecture. In each station, a guest will tell us about his vision of the city, its conception, its
0: density, its future and more.
1: Hi, Quentin. Thanks for being here. Um, you work for MVrDV, but what can you tell us about you, your background, where did you study,
0: and more? Hi to all the listeners. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm Quentin. Quentin Rieu, French urbanist and architect, currently working at MVrDV in Rotterdam as an urban designer in the urban studio. And my background is studies in architecture in France and Germany, and a dual master in architecture and urbanism at the Versailles School of Architecture and the Tongji University, precisely the program that you uh, and are also currently doing now.
1: Yes. Um, as an urbanist, could you give us your vision of the city of today?
0: I mean, giving my vision of, of the city, uh, I feel uh, requires to first. Uh, have a look at what is the city today. Before answering this question, I think it's necessary to try to define together what is the city. First, I would like to refer uh, directly to uh, a book that that was uh, very important for me in understanding what is actually the city. It's called Première Leçon d'Urbanisme of uh, Bernardo Secchi. It defines urbanism first as uh, the traces that are left by a a vast ensemble of actions of conscious modification of the territory. So the most generic definition you can imagine. It's a kind of historical or almost also anthropological definition of the city, which is kind of the layering of uh, different action of modification of the territory through time and history. What is interesting with this definition is that it defines a very human uh, fact that is the will to modify our environment, but it's not sufficient to define the cities we live in today, the metropolis, because it's not. uh, This definition is not able to explain why we do we live in concentrated in in uh, urban centers, and it it cannot itself explain. Uh, the shape that the city state today, and uh, for better understanding this, I, I, I want to refer to a second book that is uh, Saskia Sassen, Global City. Our uh, point is very simple: it's the metropolis that we live in today is the result of a certain uh, socio-economical reality and labor division that is called capitalism. Precisely, the polarization around very dense uh, urban centers is, for her, or her, for many historians, uh, the result, uh, the economic system, which is capitalism. It's very important to keep this in mind before starting to project a city that we dream about. Because to uh, project that city, you need to think about a city relying on also an economical and uh, a political system that, that you dream about, right?
1: So, according to what you just said, the city could be defined as multi-layered. Then, which layer or parameter could be enhanced or erased in order to build the city of the future for
0: NVRD? It's difficult to answer to this question because it gives you the will to consider the city as a project, which is a necessity for us urban planners, but which in itself cannot be an answer to building a a city. And therefore, uh, I would rather insist on the importance of uh, and the the value of of, uh, a process-oriented practice that participates to this layering through time, accepts, Uh, a certain kind of flexibility and modification accepts to consider the intrinsic qualities and uh, particularities of specific context and therefore I would not be able to give you one line for a project that would be the ideal city I would rather uh, name it uh, uh, put it in the framework of a uh, a process and name it uh, a constant contextualization, enhancing the what is already there, and create the condition for the blooming of existing qualities and uh, potentials by bringing something new on top of the existing. Um, well, that's
1: not really the description of the city <laughs> of the future we're waiting <laughs> for but but uh, to
0: but to continue on the uh, on the city of the future i think today it's very easy to dream about a city which will develop together with the evolution of contemporary techniques like a techno enthusiastic city it's very it's the is the easiest trap uh, today with uh, with our smartphone uh, with the numeric age with the drones you know we if uh, yeah very easy to start dreaming about uh, a kind of a uh, neo fritz long uh, but uh, positivist and utopian city but uh, if you start to consider about the economical and social structure and the division of labor that is behind, that gives shape to a city. If you dream about a city that breaks with a contemporary uh, socio-economical uh, system, that is capitalism, then you need to, in line with this rupture, accept to break with some of the qualities that we consider uh, to be those of contemporary cities. Like, for example, density, polarization, hyperpolarization, like uh, strong centralities. Uh, Maybe uh, the ideal city of the future is a city where, um, you know, the labor division would not be so intense. A city that is more sustainable with, with people spending more time on doing agriculture. Uh, so a city that will be less dense, that would have more space for food production, a city with less movement and so less energy spent in daily movement of people. And it's an exercise to appreciate and love this city that is against the destructive metropolis of today. It's not obvious.
1: You just presented two cities here. On one hand, you, you talk about a hyper-connected city with drones and data. And on the other hand, you talk about productive space. Um, is the city of the future a mix
0: of those two theories? It is a, a mix of, of those both extremes, for sure. But in a way that we won't use those new tools. Um, let me give you a, a, an example, an image to illustrate this. You could create two opposite uh, utopias, depending on your uh, political horizon, about the city of the future. In one of those, Amazon sits at the municipality council (laughs) because because they provide the tools that make our life together possible. Uh, They manage the city as a platform and allow us to find an apartment, to move in the city. So... It's kind of, uh, let's say, uh, this, this part of the utopia to, to be very cute and gentle, uh, to not uh, start like to go in the extremes of uh, like a, a city completely privatized. Let's say it would be the. A system of cogestion uh, similar to what's happening right now in German uh, companies where uh, investors uh, have half of the votes and uh, employees uh, half of the others. Hein? Where a part, 50% of the political spectrum will, would be given to private companies to kind of create this co-gestion of the city between uh, the inhabitants and the big multinational providing the technologies for us to live together. I find this idea disastrous. I'm afraid of this future, even put in a very cute way, I, as, as I tried to put it now to mile down a bit my comparison. And uh, there is the counter model is uh, where we acknowledge what those uh, the potential of those technologies. And when we take in common the decision to use them in a way that would be off market as a, as a public service, like uh, we do today with our system of health, for example, in France. And uh, this, this would allow us to collectively use the technology and not individually to profit from it as much as possible in this uh, context of competition that we live in today. For example, uh, the, with the example of a car, you can illustrate uh, the competition to have the strongest car and to drive as fast as possible on the highway uh, is one way where only uh, very rich people will be able to afford those very big uh, futuristic cars, uh, electric cars, and be able to drive very fast on the the highway. And next to it, you will have uh, buses with all the poor people inside uh, that cannot have a car, and maybe uh, one of them, they they win at the lottery, they can have a ride in the big car, you know? And uh, the counter model is uh, a collective ownership of uh, those very futuristic cars, and share of the use of this technology between inhabitants. So, politics takes a large seat in urbanism? It it is one of the hottest political matters, in fact. I mean, as an urban planner, you have the right to modify the status of the land. So, it's not a right right that is... We have a monopoly on this right, no? And therefore, uh, we have also a responsibility that goes along with this, because uh, the status of the land is the con- condition for uh, uh, people's common life that are also in between your hands. So it's a constant deal with, with politics. Everything you do in urbanism, I feel, is uh, is political. Uh, choosing a, a mobility system for the neighborhood is political, to uh, defining uh, uh, urban shapes and uh, densities. It's also political. So we have to to be conscious about the political reality of urbanism and uh, try in this context to bring the extra value to it at the same time, the value of the design.
1: That's a great job you are describing. (laughs) You already shared with us two books. Do you have other books that inspired you as an urbanist?
0: Um, I could uh, name a book uh, that inspired me a lot for several reasons. Uh, I think when a a combination of uh, intellectual uh, relevance and uh, aesthetic Happen, uh, a book uh, becomes fantastic. And therefore, uh, uh, I will name a book that was introduced to us by Matthias Armongo, which is uh, Paris Ville Invisible of Bruno Latour. You can find a wonderful uh, edition in, uh, in A2 format, which is uh, extremely generous in terms of con- uh, content, ID, and uh, poetic creative uh, writing. It's a book that makes you understand this, also this reality of urbanism as a a network of operation on the city. Bruno Latour goes in uh, for 30 pages in the process of a street naming from the urbanists choosing a name with the council of the city to the person installing the panel on the street. 30 pages of steps on how you go from the name to the panel in the street. All this network of uh, workers with different jobs, uh, of uh, labor division here as well, and uh, of information. Yeah, it's, I, I found it very interesting to understand the, the deepness and the consequences of the actions we are, we are doing when we design something as urban plan. Yes,
1: indeed. Bounola too is an author to know. Indeed. indeed. Um, you traveled a lot during your studies. Can you share with us a city you love or would like to discover?
0: For sure, there are for sure a lot of cities that I would like to discover. I think In our field, we are all curious about uh, a different context, different uh, built environments. Traveling is a privilege that uh, we have in our generation, but maybe not for so long anymore. <laughs> a city I particularly loved in the city I lived in would probably be Istanbul. I love Istanbul because this uh, historical layering is very present. You you inhabit a city where you have a concrete presence of a thousand-year history, a tangible, not just the shape of a street, but real stones. And for me, uh, when it comes to... uh, yeah. My my emotions when I'm in a city, when I live in a city, it's precisely this complexity of of the historical layering that uh, the uh, the
1: palimpsest of the city.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: well, you are working for MVGV since two years. Is Indeed. that right?
0: Uh, I I I'm working for them now for a bit more than a year. But uh, four years ago, I also did an internship there, which you put them uh, one behind the other. makes about two years.
1: Okay, so two years experience at MVRDV. Yeah. Um, When MVRDV was founded, they started with a book, which is Pharmax. Indeed. What could you say about this book? Uh, How MVRDV deals with it today, uh, about its theory and as it evolved?
0: I, I I'm tempted to say that yes, uh, it's, uh, it defines the it it explains a lot on uh, the theory and the ideology of MVRDV today, and I think um, this book is not uh, the result of a coincidence. You know? MVRDV Dutch company from the beginning on very um, close to urbanism uh, as an architectural practice. Uh, didn't do uh, the the first book about density by mistake. In fact, MVRD is a Dutch company, and it's very important to remember this uh, geographical, also uh, social context, because Netherlands is one of the densest uh, country in the world. Netherlands is a swamp, was a swamp, and is today almost completely urbanized. I think, a few countries are denser than the Netherlands in terms of uh, population uh, per, per uh, uh, size of the territory, but they are city-states. So in the Netherlands, the necessity of a very deep knowledge about how to create uh, a qualitative density is needed by default to create the condition of uh, uh, yeah, uh, that many millions of people living on such a small territory.
1: So here you, you talk about density, but what about urban sprawl? Um,
0: I have the feeling that density is one of the biggest contemporary dogmas in, in, the, in the urban uh, practices today. I mean, it's not for no reasons. In, in one century, we went from uh, 2 billion inhabitants to, to 7 today. We are living in a world where a certain fight against urban sprawl is needed. But uh, on the topic of density, I would like to to maybe talk about uh, downsides of uh, radical density. From uh, the most obvious, which uh, I think today uh, could be an uh, administrative reason, to to more uh, to more complex uh, reasons that are uh, on the level of uh, eco politics. And um, so, to start with the first reason, I, I'm Whenever it goes to density, I'm always thinking like in the in the in the practice of urban planning, we have to always think about the way we organize public services with the city, and um, uh, it's good to remember to have those number in the head. If you build one apartment, uh, you have zero point four students, so it's a it's a very uh, rational way to to look at it. But I mean. The more you pressure density, the more you pressure also public services and administrations uh, and the rhythm in which we build density has also to, uh, to have a certain kind of respect towards uh, our institutions. The, 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 the second reason I would say is more uh, why uh, we should a bit break away with the dogma of density is a technical reason. Uh, the higher you build the more material you will need for one unit it's as simple as that so there is also there is a very uh, if you go towards uh, thinking of uh, material uh, optimization uh, density has a clear limit and this limit is not so high after uh, after after 5 floors forget about it you're wasting material And the last reason reason why um, density should be more questioned today, and I think is the most interesting reason, is is this uh, eco-political point of view, which is um, um, the loss of autonomy that our city has gained over the year while developing in a very dense and centralized way. And to understand this issue, uh, I think it's wise to go back... uh, to, to to the very roots of uh, ecological urbanism, and um, uh, precisely to the period where uh, social ecology was blooming in the 30s. <clears throat> uh, social ecology had a urbanistic branch, which was called uh, social urbanism. It was a very uh, an extremely creative move- movement uh, before the Second World War, uh, and uh, a very important figure. Uh, that I, uh, there's a very interesting figure that I discovered, uh, rediscovered recently. Um, His name is uh, Alfonso Martinez Rizzo, who was an intellectual, uh, rationalist, and uh, also engineer, and vice president of the intellectual workers at the CNT, so the Spanish uh, anarcho-syndicalist movement uh, during Spanish uh, Revolution. And already in the 30s, uh, with a very wise uh, um, um, concern about the environment, a political concern about environment and the conditions of living together, he made a very simple demonstration. Uh, He said, the more inhabitants a city has, the more it will consume for each of them. And uh, talking about energy, goods, services, all ki- all types of consumption. Basically, he made the thesis that the, the city must reach a certain degree of autonomy to be ecological. The city has to become, a, he says, a biological body integrated into the environment. So this means precisely to break away from a, a state of dependency of the dense city towards uh, the countryside. Knowing this is very fruitful for an urban planner because then you start not anymore to think, how can I do the city as dense as possible? But you start raising other questions like, how can I uh, re-implement productive landscapes in a city? How can I create the condition for industrial production in the city again? How can I deconstruct this uh, bipolar development with a uh, we call in France, uh, Cité dortoir uh, so uh, the, the banlieue with uh, only people living, but zero economy that are uh, traveling every day to the city center to work. Uh, how can I give a possibility for the uh, workers to live uh, closer to the place they work? Those are group of arguments uh, from... Uh, administrative technical or ecopolitical uh, point of view that go against um, a purely dogmatic um, vision of density
1: is it a direction we already are taking
0: i wouldn't say uh, that the city alone tends to a uh, more mixed use uh, city. I think it's by the people who do the city and uh, it's very unequally applied according to the areas. To take a, a simple example, uh, let's look at Chicago. Chicago is a great example for a hyper-dense uh, city that tries today to apply um, mixed use, but in which a big part of the dwelling policy relies on a vision of urban planning that is uh, still inherited from uh, garden city uh, history, but applied with a very individualistic and counter mixed use model that uh, you you have mixed use in the city center, but so dense that uh, people will have to live in, in, in suburbs. Mixed use in itself, I think cannot be the answer because you can have also certain types of mixed use coupled with a, a dogmatic density that can create the counter effect of, uh, radicalizing this duality between city and the countryside and increase urban sprawl. Um,
1: back to the Netherlands now, um, Netherlands has evolved since the publication of Pharmax. Therefore, um, did MVRDV evolve with new theories or practice practices?
0: I would say that the path that MVRDV is taking uh, since a few years, maybe a few decades, but I wasn't there to attest it, is uh, twofold. There is one uh, a big push made on sustainability with the development, internal development of uh, sustainability experts, uh, with uh, Uh, like a rise of the consciousness that is also very linked to also a kind of a change of generation as well, probably. And uh, yeah, the building of a common knowledge about uh, the use of uh, sustainability principles and their application in uh, the field of urbanism and architecture. So this is one path. Probably the second path that NVRD is taking is also a path towards emerging technologies. One uh, in the academical realm with the Y Factory, but this is already since a couple of, uh, maybe uh, you you can count it in decades. I don't have the precise uh, idea of when the Y Factory was created, but uh, we can say that it's not new anymore. (laughs) Definitely uh, still very innovative. So more on the research with the parametrics, uh, with uh, uh, a very conceptual, uh, approach of the city and um, on the second hand also an internal approach embedded in the projects where research is being uh, at least tried to be um, merged with the practice of the project with a next which is um, a group of uh, scripting and uh, I I know they don't like to be called uh, as a scripting expert, but uh, uh, specialist in these uh, emerging emerging technologies and uh, new uh, design processes, the discovery and the use of these new tools allow a new way to conceive and to and to look at the design from a sustainability perspective as well.
1: So you said that sustainability and new technology are important for MVDV and we talked about productive cities and smart cities in the beginning. Could we say that MVRDV is trying to understand those paths to maybe combine them or merge them?
0: Uh, You're pointing more uh, correct reality. I think uh, MVRDV as a studio tries to uh, always keep, uh, update themselves before the context changes around them. I think it's a company that is very uh, awake in terms of uh, taking the right path at the right time. Stay also uh, um, innovative and competitive on on a, on a market that is uh, getting uh, smaller and smaller. I don't know if in uh, uh, economical uh, uh, number we could say that it's going smaller, but the the competition is hard and uh, globalized.
1: You talked about the Y factory and NEXT. One help uh, for research and theories outside of the market. Is it an opportunity for dream projects disconnected to the business?
0: Uh, Indeed, uh, yeah, it's an off-market approach to research, which is uh, basically the the best condition for research to happen. I think uh, it has been a very clever move uh, from uh, Winnie Mass at, the, at the time to uh, institutionalize his presence at uh, Delft University with the, with the Y Factory. Yeah, I, I would recommend uh, to, to everybody to have a look at what they, what they are producing. They are frequently uh, publishing books. Uh, I would say uh, what is not feasible to do at MVRDV is tried to be done at the Y-Factory and uh, and vice versa. I think that uh, for MVRDV, uh, it's uh, MVRDV, the Y-Factory are uh, uh, two uh, different institutional uh, tools to work on uh, on 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 an agenda. Could we say that the Y-Factory keeps
1: MVRDV awake, like the topic of sustainability?
0: It's a good question, but knowing the office from the inside, I I would say that uh, uh, it would be a false idea to conceive uh, innovation being done um, being transmitted from Y Factory to NVrDV. I think there is more an exchange, and at NVrDV, there are other research methods that also provide results and interesting thoughts that are. Uh, then uh, probably also influencing uh, the action of the Y factory, but uh, it's uh, neither an extension of MVRDV in the purely uh, in the academical environment nor the contrary, the the only academical and theoretical food of of MVRDV.
1: As Next and the Y factory uses both parametric, do MVRDV use it as everyday use, and do you have examples?
0: I wouldn't say that everybody is using scripting every day. Now, the real impact of those new tools on the design is not present in every project. At MBRDV, we try to evaluate at the beginning of a project now, project now more and more if uh, the approach that we want to have to the project requires a technical support of, uh, of scripting. If we consider that it does, we will push as uh, as hard as possible on the on the, on the scripting uh, together with Next. If we consider that it's not needed, then we won't use it. So it's not present in every project, but uh, let's say where it's present, it's omnipresent.
1: Um, there is the case of uh, Quand La Grande Mosaïque. Maybe, did, did you use uh, some of the, these tools in this project?
0: Indeed, indeed. It started with actually a big project that was on the, uh, yeah, the whole territory between the uh, core and, uh, and, and, uh, and the sea with this concept of uh, La Grande Mosaic. So uh, a, a, a big master plan was done. For the uh, requalification and the redevelopment of this old territory, which was uh, mostly a, a landscape project, for the reason that it's, uh, it was a mostly it was mostly natural. And today we are working on the uh, development of um, of uh, Zach, so a neighborhood, a new neighborhood that is, uh, uh, I would say, at the periphery of the center of Con, and all the industrial area. Uh, dealing with coal, so quite, uh, I would say, heavy industries that we are now uh, uh, requalifying in a, in a new uh, mixed-use neighbourhood, and for which uh, we we are using yeah, the power of scripting um, <clears throat> to define the geometry of the built environment. The first input was a landscape uh, intention. Uh, I it's good to know that Winimas is also a landscape architect. And many times, uh, the, the first intention comes from a landscape idea. Uh, this landscape idea, uh, in Coran, is uh, Le Bocage urbain, we call it. So it's uh, inspired by, uh, let's say, uh, traditional vegetal structures in the landscape of Normandy. Uh, the bocage, it's kind of this row of bushes and trees separating fields and creating these ecological corridors and these uh, this, this, uh, walls to wind and these uh, natural protections in the uh, traditional agricultural landscape of Normandy, to take them and to apply, to reinvent those uh, landscape structures and to apply them on the whole neighborhood, around all buildings, all parks, all uh, traces basically, the whole geometry of the project comes from the existing traces of the site, of the, and and uh, then comes this uh, bocage urbain uh, around each and every traces. On the negative space in between those traces come the new buildings that themselves receive a bocage urbain around them. And here uh, we tried to use the the tools of scripting to define this density, this height, according to Uh, qualitative criteria, which are like basic well-being criteria, namely uh, light, uh, vis-a-vis, and uh, wind. The tools help to calculate the best solution for the high and low points uh, to maximize the sun, uh, to guarantee a minimum amount of sun in every apartment, uh, to guarantee a certain porosity to wind, in a specific direction to uh, cancel ge- uh, the, the volumetric placement that uh, generates vis-a-vis in this specific example.
1: The question of tools and parametric uh, makes me think of non-urbanism offices like Spacemaker or Sidewalk Labs. Do you see it as a threat for our profession or more like an opportunity?
0: My point of view on this is that every tool that is available and that could make the city a more enjoyable, a more livable, a more equalitarian, a more sociable space, is welcome. Is welcome. the The real question for me is how do you use it? Based on the example that I gave you before, with the um, example of the Amazon city. How you use the tool uh, in which uh, economical fra- framework this, t- this tool is used on which business model this is a, this is a real question. It makes me think about um, the the recent apparition of BIM and now it's omnipresent. present every office is doing BIM almost. Uh, I think it was last year that uh, about twenty offices in London grouped to write a complaint article. Uh, a critical article against Revit to to explain how a monopoly was created around those BIM tools that made them dependent and uh, uh, that weakened them economically. But nobody is going to say that uh, BIM is not a useful tool. Uh, Architectural agencies went to BIM because they thought that BIM would help them to design better and more efficient uh, architecture saying that uh, we don't use them would be a bit the dumb technophobic uh, uh, reaction the real question is how um,
1: there are also tools for carbon footprint in architecture do MVRDV has such tools for
0: urbanism so MVRDV is not only a uh, uh, designing uh, tools to uh, for shape for the purpose of shape, but is indeed uh, also pushing in the direction of uh, um, project assessment uh, in terms of carbon footprint, and is um, working on this extremely interesting uh, uh, research uh, project, uh, which is the development of um, a carbon calculator for architecture and. Uh, uh, and now uh, also for public spaces. So I think it's a good marker of the importance that is taking sustainability now at MBRDV. it's NBRDV uh, is a company that not only wants to uh, take the path of sustainability in a, in a radical uh, uh, way, uh, to put uh, uh, the effort of the office towards this objective, but also express um, put prescriptive also in in this approach. Creates its own tool to to, uh, approach the goal MVRDV gave to to itself.
1: So maybe we can say that MVRDV uses its tools to achieve its sustainable goal?
0: It's important to say at this uh, moment of the conversation that a technical solution to ecology is not Will not exist. Will not. Uh, it's a lie that uh, that uh, we will find a solution to the ecological problem with technique. But at the same time, technique can help. I, I didn't want to be ambiguous in this. Uh, that the conclusion of the of the, of this uh, conversation would be ambiguous. <laughs>
1: um, now, this connected to the question of tools. How do you handle the issue of
0: sustainability in everyday projects? Sometimes uh, the reality actually of uh, urbanism is way more down to earth than uh, what we mostly think. uh, Reinventing new ways to do the city in a harmonious uh, uh, ecological way is not our daily job. Our daily job is to translate an idea a concept in a built environment that has its functionality uh, both on the institutional, uh, technical and uh, socio-economical level. So we work very closely with municipalities on the development phases of our urban projects. And the, and the daily work is not mostly uh, drawing the master plan, but is uh, to find compromises and solutions for um, building up of the project. For instance, I have a, maybe a good example to give. When I arrived at MBRDV a year ago, uh, when I came back, we spent a few weeks uh, working on the trash management system of the new neighborhood we are developing in Co. This example is also important to me because it insists on the fact that they are aspects of urban planning that uh, we designers tend to forget about, but actually that, that can have more impact on the daily life of people and on the, uh, on the final uh, uh, ecological footprint as well. The, the trash management is a very good example of that.
1: Then you have to be aware... Of small-scale technique. On the other hand, you worked on the large-scale competition Luxembourg in transition. Mm-hmm. Here um, you design both techniques but also um, we will call it a master plan as a system for the country.
0: Yeah, uh, the purpose was to design a to, to develop an, a design method, a design method for the future of the territory of uh, Luxembourg greater region. Uh, the master plan that is shown is a possible result, but is not at the final product. Because I think today, uh, looking at the sustainability and uh, yeah, ecological uh, crisis we are living in, And the history of uh, how uh, our uh, ancestors, the previous generation, have been fighting uh, against this issue uh, demonstrate that uh, like drawing uh, the very clear lines, outlines of uh, a future in maybe 50 that will happen, that will uh, develop for the next 50 or 60 years is inefficient. Method is more appropriate than a final product because a method takes into account also the modification of context in the development process. Is a method is able to take the unknown uh, parameter into account as a feedback and therefore to be more, uh, more uh, uh, resilient uh, through time as a project. And uh, dealing
1: with uh, a country like Luxembourg, there is uh, certainly a
0: question of political aspects. How do you deal with the politics? Indeed, nobody knows uh, what will happen of the project, uh, how it will be applied. It's all political issues. Uh, Our job here is not to apply uh, this plan for a sustainable um, future of uh, Luxembourg greater region but to propose them a path mm, towards a more sustainable, greater region. As a matter of fact, uh, we urbanists, we are mostly advisors, but the condition of uh, application of our advices and our design are always a political decision that uh, requires also public debate.
1: Yeah, Um, talking about public debate, Uh, public interest and sustainability what is the relation between mvrdv and institutional ecology like the sustainable
0: goals it's worth to mention that uh, a company at the scale uh, of mvrdv is working with uh, like constantly working for very institutional uh, institutional clients those clients have a language with a sustainability that is uh, different than uh, the language we would use to approach sustainability. Therefore, it's important to be conscious of this difference of language to to be able to communicate. And uh, the use of the SDGs at MBRD, uh, the the Sustainable Development Goal of the the UN uh, is a good example of that. a very ins- uh, institutionalized way to, an abstract way to conceive sustainable development. And the takes it and uh, tries to combine it with its uh, sustainable agenda, uh, to translate it to urbanism, to be able to communicate through these tools with institutions. Um,
1: the UN GOS also talks about health. In this topic, do you think that the COVID-19 will reshape our cities?
0: It's a a very good question. It's uh, it's always difficult uh, to talk about phenomena that are ongoing. (laughs) But uh, there's no doubt that COVID will have an impact on the way we are living. For the simple reason that COVID already imprinted our memory and our practice Uh, of our memory of the practice of the city. And it will be changed. I think there is no post-COVID. There is no post-COVID without COVID, if you know what I mean. Like uh, the post-COVID will be, COVID will be in post-COVID because people won't use the public space uh, anymore as before COVID. Worse to mention the practice. So it comes from a different practice. This has to be taken into account also while designing public space or public building architecture in, in, in the future. There's uh, probably also a lot that will change in the way we design hospitals, for example, in the way we design our research campuses, also probably uh, considering uh, the, the, the the new knowledge we have now for having dealt with the pandemic.
1: Well... Thank you, Quentin, for being here with us and answering all my questions. Thank you for receiving me, Émeric, uh, it's been a pleasure. I learned so much about MVRDV, its goals and tools. I hope we will have the opportunity to, to talk again about certain topics like
0: the COVID. Yeah, yeah. it's probably uh, something where a topic we will have more uh, knowledge on uh, in, the, in the coming months. Huh? It's, it's still a bit fresh.
1: Yes, that's true. Well, we will see us when it'll be all done. Exactly, exactly. Hopefully, uh, hopefully live uh, in in Versailles. Yes. Well, Quentin, thank you for your time, and see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>